So shall we get into this? Basically, if you like, um, we're just going to talk as we're talking. And we're going to try and find some segue in because we don't want to be like, so, who are you? Yeah, yeah. You know, we yeah. just kind of want to fall into it. Um, so how, how have you been over lockdown? How's it treating you? Yeah, lockdown, lockdown's been an interesting process. I think uh, there have been like waves of like being really inspired but then also having the chance to like rest and reprogram and think about what's next. Um, so the beginning of lockdown, I was like chilling, not doing anything, sort of just working out what's happening next. Um, and then after a while, I felt like the need to begin to think about creating, making again, what kind of stuff would I want to do? Um, which led to me like being able to do like online workshops and stuff like that. So it's been like an up, it was, it's been an up and down journey, but on most part, it's been really good for me to just think about what I want to do next artistically as well. Yeah. How have so, you found the facilitating online? Facilitating online, um, I wasn't the biggest fan to begin with, but I think that as an alternative, there are there are actually quite interesting ways that you can use Zoom. Um, especially when it comes to like breaking out into small groups, task setting and like thinking about like artist development as well. You can do a lot of that kind of stuff over Zoom. So giving like participants the ownership to like create, develop their own work and stuff like that. It's not the same as being in person, but actually I've warmed I've warmed to the idea a lot more because there were like big questions about whether we could still do what we do, but we can, but we just have to rethink about the form that it takes place of. So Yeah, and the really bizarre thing is now is that um I'm having to think about having to think about directing a show in two different ways just in case it gets cancelled. Exactly. And that's a nightmare. That's, exactly. That's yeah. 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 I've been to a few play readings and stuff over Zoom, which have been really cool actually. Um but yeah, we we I think we now always have to or for the next maybe few years or so, bear in mind both options. So do you think um, before, like pre-lockdown and, and where you are now, would you say that you're still a facilitator? Would you still say that I'm a director or am I like a post-COVID director now? Or, or like, like who are you in this moment now? Yeah, I would say right now, um, I would say right now I'm a facilitator on most part um, because like, because work in work and shows are on pause, I'm leaning more towards facilitating, um, mediating discussions, uh, looking at dramaturgy, stuff like that. So I would say Leia, I'm like a post-COVID facilitator now, which is sort of back to my as it stands, which is back to my like, original roots before I even began directing. Yeah, and, and that's really interesting and a really interesting segue to actually our training altogether because we we were fortunate enough to all train at the same institution as well. And I think one of the, one of the key things that we were all taught is that within applied work, the more varied your skill base can be, the more longevity you perhaps might have within your career because of the employment opportunities that I guess are open to you. 
So that that switch that you speak of there, Philip, about constantly having to change in hats all of the time, is that something that when you first started applied work, or maybe even before then, when you first attended university, is that something that you foresaw for yourself as developing all of these different skill bases and being a, a, a well-rounded practitioner, I guess? Not, not at all. Not at all. I think when I first began, it seemed like a very... Before even understanding applied theatre, it felt at the time like a very narrow route. So it was like you become a drama teacher um, or if you're lucky, you become like a youth theatre director. But I didn't see anything beyond that um, at the time. Whereas now, as you said, uh, the more skills you have on the oboe, the, like, it's absolutely unlimited. So whether that's like early years work or working uh, with like key stage three and four, or whether it's secondary school, or whether it's community-based, or whether it's like community-specific, or whether it's working with people within like homeless services, or people at risk of mental health illnesses, like it just goes on and on and on. Um, which was something that like was unlocked as time went on with the course. But at first I was like very focused on like, maybe I'll become a drama teacher. But actually once that spectrum was like understood, the rest is like sort of in history in terms of applying theatre to anything, which is which is the key thing that I understood. Because we was all able to train at the the same institution, it, you know, we learnt a, a plethora of of skills, and we, as Tom said, we was able to put on loads of different hats. Is there a piece of training that you received that you see as invaluable to? where you are now in your career, where you will be in the future and where you were at the start? Like something that you can see really transcending all the way through through your, your career path. Yeah, I think I think when it came to um, like the theatre making aspect of like making theatre for young people, that like transcended into like facilitation work and all of that kind of stuff. So it was like the end of year one when we made uh, Icarus we performed it in front of young children. And in the second year, we did a tour of She. And then we had like post-theatre workshops. That's completely like lived with me. So like whenever I've made my work, I've always thought about the the, the lasting legacy of there being a follow-up workshop or something that's rooted in some of the issues that are coming up, which is like never left to this day. And I th- Yeah, and I, th- and I think that that's something that has made our training invaluable, I think, in a way, is that because we were shown the correct way to not only, well, actually, I wouldn't say the correct way, a certain way of working that that not only created work in an organic way as a company, but also including participants within a creative process as well, but then to also then evaluate the work in which we've done and to make sure that our exit strategy with work that we committed to with participants was always carried out in an appropriate way. And I don't know whether that is always the case with all kind of facilitators, practitioners or youth theatre leaders, especially not that I've come into contact that may have trained outside of a actual applied course potentially i don't know what you think philip yeah i think i think what what uh what hannah did so well was to, was taught us the values of form 
and and expanding from form into creating like facilitation content, which I, I've got friends who went to like other drama schools whose processes were really different. So it was just at, it was just at facilitation level and not so much the theatre making level. Whereas we, I feel like we had the best of both worlds. Um, so like the the fundamentals of being able to like to 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 really pull out like the rooted issues or topics and to make very specific work around whether it's one topic or whether it's a reflection of the whole piece is something which um which is like which has still been like fundamental to the work that I make now. So I think I think Hannah's process with us was just really really unique and bespoke. Um in comparison in comparison to others. I know like others I've spoken to others who have like done the same course and like theirs was like very extremely theory based. So when I was speaking about like the idea of like a project one and project two, they were like, wow, that sounds really fun. Like you're able to go away and make a bit of work and bring it back and tie it into like creating a show. And then like, as you said, like thinking about um, like the, the legacy of that and what we're leaving behind for every like audience member, um, like tools for teachers as well to take away with them. Um, yeah, it was like a- absolutely invaluable. So I feel, yeah, I thought it was really unique. Do, do you think, um, Philip, that that style of, of, of teaching that, that you received and that we received um, helped in terms of employability afterwards? Because um, I know that you went on to do a, a, a intern at the, the Birmingham Rep. Um, do you think it was that those kind of qualities that distinguished yourself from other candidates potentially? I, I think so. I think I think the amount of um, experience that was offered to us during our time in the course, um, like again, was like unique in how in regarding like how many schools we visited. Um, the the spectrum of like children that we also visited, so working with like children with learning difficulties, working with secondary schools, working with you know schools that have like may have like a slightly bad reputation. Like we did all of that during our time. Um, whereas for another, it may be that they had like in their final year, they then finally delivered like a workshop. But we were we were making workshops from from year one through to year three, um, and especially like. As, as Tom touched on earlier, in terms of like com- working as a company as well, like that, um, being able to build our own companies and 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 understand like the business aspect as well, um, was like really vital. So I think that's what, if I'm honest, I think that's what made me more employable. What drew you to applied work, Philip? How come, especially with university, how come? you decided to go in an applied direction. Was that something that you'd always kind of wanted to do or? Um, it, it was something that I was exploring really. I wouldn't say I, I had a clear understanding on what uh, applied theatre is. I just knew at the time that I enjoyed, I enjoyed the thought of working with young people like me when I was younger. Um, so because I wasn't that engaged in drama um, until a slightly later age, like the thought of, maybe interesting someone in that was something that always appealed to me. So I, I, I completely thought at the time I wanted to be a drama teacher um, when I came to the course. And I thought that at the beginning, applied theatre would teach me the skill set needed to do that. But like that, that changed very quickly along the way. In what way? In what way did it um, change very quickly? Yeah, uh, I think in terms of being 
uh, restricted to just a school settings setting. Um, the thought of that like slowly evaporated because then I, um, once I understood in terms of like range and skill set and the kind of groups you can work with, I wanted to work with every group. So I wanted to work with young children. I wanted to work with community groups as well, rather than be confined to like a secondary school space. Um, and also the, the, uh, the thought of being a teacher, even though what we do to some aspect is teaching just started to wear off. Like I didn't want to be called sir. I didn't want to be called Mr. So-and-so. I just wanted to be Philip who comes in and um, apply, literally applies theatre like and, and finds an in, finds an interesting way to help young people like learn about things, learn about the world, um, rather than it being like specific, uh, like subject based. I wanted to like bring in some text from like you know Debbie Tucker Green or like random and look at you know the fatality of like stabbings and how that affects families, rather than like go to some like contemporary or classical text. I wanted to do both. Um, Whereas I don't know if school settings necessarily allow that, like based on their curriculum and stuff like that. For me, what what you're describing there is the moment where I realised that I wasn't just a facilitator. I, I was now able to become an artist at the same time. Yeah. And that, for me, the marriage of of oh, I'm a theatre maker and a director. And I know, and I'm also a facilitator. For me, is where my practice has married to me, actually almost becoming a participant within the creative process, with each group that I work with. And I wonder where, after graduation, where, where was that kind of transformation for you? Where, where did you go after graduation? What? Yeah. So after after graduating, um, I was immediately unemployed, which was a real a real kick in the teeth because I definitely thought a lot was going to happen after graduating. I thought like the, the, the streets would be painted gold and there'll be loads of offers from like theater companies and stuff like that. But I actually hit rock bottom um, in terms of like even confidence financially, but actually, so actually when, so I did, I did a bit of acting for a bit. Um, like I, I was involved in a tour and then I didn't want to continue the tour. So then I went back to like job seeking and then I heard about an internship. Um, it was at the Rep and the Hippodrome. And so I remember at the time I was like in between the borders of like wanting to pursue acting only, but also like being aware that I need, I also needed in, in my opinion to make use of my degree because, you know, we, we worked really hard and I just didn't want that to sort of disappear because I'm like, you know, wanting to, to to be on like a main stage. So um, I remember seeing like education officer and I was like, ah, I don't know if I want to go back into sort of that world. But actually, if I if I didn't take that risk um, and, 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 and which I then continued to like on that journey, I then understood the wider spectrum of institutions as well. So in my head, institutions were like, cool, you're only going to go into schools. But actually, it wasn't the case. Once I was an intern, they got me working with like homeless services and then the opportunity to, to start like light post game. Um, so really like in terms of the transition, uh, 
me uh, going for a very like vulnerable state allowed me to then like rediscover my artistry. So then when like Post started, I was able to reflect on my personal experience in terms of feeling low. So when people are coming in feeling low, whether it's a community group or whatnot, how can we use maybe some of that pain to, to make art and express ourselves? I would say that was sort of the transition. It was a very personal transition, which enabled me to like lean more into my artistry and like making up our own rules as well. So actually I took personal experiences, applied it with a bit of drama and like was able to deliver workshops in the in a interesting way in a bespoke way and maybe a way that's not written in textbooks um but something that's effective um th that sounds brilliant um how, how did working with Lightpost contrast to um your work within the schools and, and, and say primary school education I know you were talking about you know putting your life experience within light post workshops but was there a aspect was there a way of bringing Philip to you know the primary school education route I, I think I think from an aspect of like energy so like both require a lot of energy that's displayed um whereas like with primary schools um you have to come in really setting the tone and that's not even just from an aspect of like rules or anything like that it's actually like the energy that you give will naturally allow the kids to raise up. So I found I found that I was probably, if anything, more playful, more playful with um when working in primary schools. It was like the opportunity to show like the the slightly lighter side. Whereas with light posts, how I felt that they benefited from me being a bit a bit sterner, actually. And in terms of like setting benchmarks, by the end of this month we will achieve this. Whereas like with the younger children, it was more about us discovering it along the way. Um, so yeah. was that so the two so the two projects there that were running simultaneously, were they working together, Philip, at the time? You were yeah. you were running yeah, two working, different yeah. projects at the time. So so what um and that was all that was all part So uh, a quarter three quarters of the way through the internship, they then turned it into a full time job. Because we had secured, yeah, we had secured funding to begin like post. Ah, right. Okay, fantastic. So, what were some of your initial responsibilities and roles then as part of that internship? And that was for Birmingham Rep, right? Yeah, Birmingham Rep and the Hippodrome. So, if anything, it was assisting really. So, travelling alongside um, the education officers, youth theatre directors, um, sitting in, um, you know. Uh, helping like support support workshops uh being like a, a sort of active participant to help like set the tone or like you know if someone needed to show an example um they would they would like you uh, they would use me um but then with i found uh with the rep they kept like pushing me so they were like oh philip you've had like they were aware of like my acting experience so they're like do you mind leading a vocal warm-up like for the youth theater so I did work all my and they were able to like see those leadership skills which I carried on from on from the course because we had like intensive voice sessions and so they were, I think they were really impressed with actually seeing that practice be applied um, and also like that that experience that came with it um, which really like especially the youth theatre that really helped 
aid the group. So like, as part of that facilitation process, like one of the lead facilitators would be like, yeah, Philip is a professional actor and he's going to do a vocal warm-up with you, which is a professional vocal warm-up, which would just give everyone that kick. Um, so it went from, yeah, just, just supporting the warm-ups to then like o- overnight being offered a full-time job. What, what was the full-time job that you were offered? Yeah, so the full-time job was uh, becoming a youth theatre director, which at the time I didn't have, I had very little experience in terms of uh, directing. Um, I was used to the theatre making, I was used to devising, but in terms of putting a show on, that was a very like brand new experience. So I remember like taking it upon myself to just watch as many shows as possible to understand the mechanics of what it takes to put on a show. So I didn't know anything about lighting, didn't know much about soundtracks. I had to literally just just take it in my stride and just observe like really, really carefully. So what were the size, what were the size groups that you were facilitating then as, as youth theatre director? Yeah, so group groups of up to like 30 per per group. Large ensemble cast. So that really helped me in terms of like devising work, being able to set group tasks, being able to build a story. Um, so if it was like a five act play, I could split it, split them literally into five groups. We have beginning, middle, end, and so forth. Um, in terms of like distribution of lines, that also made it a lot easier because we would literally create the script in the room and, we, and I'd go, yeah, do you want to take in that line? Do you want to take in that line? So like just having a really even spread. And yeah, in terms of like an ensemble voice, we would like really capitalise on the opportunity. So how can so many people tell have a line together or, or 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 tell this story at the same time. But it was always based on like something that uh, like the young people cared about or wanted to say about the world um, or like a reflection of history. And what, what age group was that, Philip, that you were working with? So, yeah, there were, there were two, two age groups. So the, the first age group were year, they were year, year one. So that's, um, in terms of age range, that's like six, seven, six or seven. The second age group were 10 to 11. Yeah, 10 to 11. Big jump, very big jump. So like the, so in terms of, especially with the really younger ones, that was like me writing plays essentially, which was really good actually. That was a really good test to begin to activate that tool. Whereas with the older ones, it was like, we are making a play together. Give me a line that you think would be really good. You know, building it up together. And what do you think some of the, as a youth theatre director and being the person that is effectively steering that ship, what do you think some of the fundamentals are as a youth theatre director when working with, let's say, a large ensemble cast what do you think some of those fundamentals have been for you in your process that you still carry with you now? Yeah, I think um, I think setting expectations so from from the jump, so that they know what they're heading, they're gearing towards, so that every session feels like we are we are making something for a reason. So coming in on the first day and saying, guys, in two months we're going to make a play and that's going to be performed in front of your friends and family, is a is a really big deal for. For, for like young people and, and and for any like group that you're working with, so I would say that setting expectations um, in, in also reminding them of like your professional ability. So speaking about the fact that you know speaking about your experience is something that 
is, is, is always useful so that they, they know who they're working with and they know uh, the standard that's being held. Um, I think in terms of like being a, like really listening is, is, is vital because actually there are moments of like gold where someone might just say something and it's exactly what's needed to like progress a play or it's a great line that's being offered. And also like with, with an older group also um, admitting when you're a bit stuck. So guys, I'm a bit stuck. Do you mind helping me think of an idea as to how we can, you know, achieve B to C? Do you know what I mean? Um, because then we're really starting to like activate, activate the um, participants' brains. Yeah, yeah, that that sounds brilliant. I, I think so. So, when you were doing that type of work, were you assigned those groups? Yeah, I was assigned those groups. Yeah, mm-hmm. but Lightpost, there was um, Lightpost. You weren't assigned a group. Like you were told to kind of create. Is that and 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 how how did you kind of seek out your participants? Did you like knock on doors? I don't know. Did you text yeah. your friends? What What did you do to, to get the recruits in? All, literally all of the above. So knocking on doors, phone calls to organisations. I went to radio stations. I, I, I literally, you name it, I did it. Um, until actually the most effective way that got everyone to come in was me and a, a, friend, a friend of my mum's who um, sent out a broadcast on Facebook and WhatsApp at the time. And actually that, that spread really far and wide. Yeah. Which is like a much more like, sorry. Yeah, which, which I'd say is a very unorthodox way of like, at the time anyway, now it's quite popular for there to be a broadcast on Twitter or something. But at that time, there weren't that many broadcasts to say, right, there's a, there's a community production, come down. Do you know what I mean? It was quite... So did you, how long did it take to get that ball rolling then to, for people to start coming in to the process? Yeah, um, I would say the overall process, I would say it took about a month in preparation. So the first two weeks was like the phone calls, knocking on door to door. Um, where we were able, we were able to pinch a few like, participants who then came to the Taster Workshop. But then the final two weeks, we just, we needed a push um so then that's when i was like willing to check check my own sources um so yeah about a month about a solid month of like day-to-day day-to-day activity what what was the what was the difference sorry between um between you theater and the light post project so are those separate strands of the same department like how would you just be able to tell me a little bit about the light post project in its um entirety yeah, so at the t- yeah, so um, Lightpost is a company which is uh, still running, working with young black men between the ages of sixteen to twenty-five. Um, it is considered to be a group that works with young black men potentially at risk of mental health issues, but because of statistics, they sen- that essentially confirms that nearly every black male is at risk, um, just as like every human being is potentially at risk. So it's it's a it's a no black male theatre company, basically in short. Um, in terms of like the difference, it was seen as a community project at the time, um, which was like separate to the youth theatre um, and like required a different amount of like attention and time. So I had a few assigned days just based on that because it was like a big new pilot project as well. So it was meant to run for two years and then that would have been the end of the project. 
but very early on, um, we decided to, to make it a company so that it, it lives beyond its assigned years and it's, it's doing that now. So mission, mission accomplished. Yeah, and that sounds like it's going back to kind of the fundamentals of what you were talking about in terms of your training at university of, you know, it's not just about the process, it's not just about the performance, it's not just about the the exit strategy, it's also about the the legacy, the longevity, how this is going to impact completely rather than just for the moment. So in in, in speaking of, of impact, what do you think were some of the the challenges faced when working with this this new community group, you know, um, on the brink of, as you say, um, a mental health in some cases. How how did that vary to, you know, the the play that you were doing with the guys that were six? Yeah, I think I think uh, there are quite a few challenges. I think one was how do you make a community group feel at home in a regional theatre that they're not familiar with? Um, so that took a lot of time. Um, how do you instill like a belief that there is like potentially a, 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 a lifelong experience that they can build with theatre as well. Um, we had guys who had never, some had never like ventured into it before. Some have maybe did, done drama like early on in school, but had never touched it since. So it was about trying to introduce, introduce the variety of forms that exist within theatre and also other types of jobs as well um i think also in terms of um in being really honest like the promotion of community work for the regional theater like for the rep was a challenge as well um you know we were faced with a scenario where you know a show that was potentially that was just going that was going to be in a rehearsal room was then moved to a performance space and like was sold out really quickly um, which was a very like new experience for the rep. Um, so I think yeah, just sort of community level meeting artistic level was like a a, a challenge to break those stigmas so that the work is seen as like valuable and and professional. Um, so what were some of your your methods of facilitation to achieve those things you're talking about, like a cohesiveness within the community? in terms of them making them feel um, safe and wanted in the building? Um, what were some of your methods? Yeah, so um, I, I, one of the methods was like being really transparent or as, uh, or, as, uh, or as transparent as possible within like the realms of like safety. So it wasn't about telling them about a frustrating day, but it was about letting them be, become aware that we like really need to work hard. So especially when we were beginning to be noticed um, as a professional company. Um, so that transparency was one in terms of like setting responsibility. Um, I didn't opt, you know, I didn't opt out of, you know, encouraging them to like spread the words, tell people about light posts, sell tickets. Like if you, if you take that responsibility it's only going to like serve your community better and serve a wider audience better and serve the building better in them seeing you work hard and like raise the bar. Um, so I'd say like tra- transparency, responsibility, um, and also just like trying to open doors for opportunity. So like there was a, there were opportunities for them to do like work with other artists that like um, I knew and, and like we knew. 
the opportunities to join the youth theatre if they wanted to for free. Whenever there was a job post or an actor's job, you know, we'd post it, post it to them for them to apply. And like on the previous thing that I said, in terms of them understanding there is, there is a career in this industry. Like there is acting, there is marketing, there is set design, there is directing, um, to just try and really plug them into those things. At what level, Philip, did this strategic planning take place for these aims and objectives? Was this, were all of those objectives for the project that you previously listed, are these reflections that you're now having on the project or were these initial strategic goals for Lightpost as a project and its participants from the offset? I, I, I think the, the, the penny, uh, a bit of both, I think the penny, the penny dropped quite early into when we were beginning. So a colleague of mine was like, oh, cool. This is kind of like having your own company. And then it was in that moment, I was like, right, company. So if there's a company, if it's going to be a company, we need a strategy, which happened really quickly. Like it turned in, in my brain, it turned from a project to a company, like again, sort of overnight. Um, and I think, in, but also at the same time in reflection, um, we were sort of working it out as we were going along. Because in, in terms of like interest, there was so much interest when people were just like told about that post because it was so like unique and still is really unique. I was just going to ask, how did then the opportunities for, let's say, company members to then interview um, for particular job roles at the rep or other creative roles that came up within your network, whose idea was it to then start offering these opportunities to participants? So was it something that was kind of organically building as you were moving or was this something that strategically you'd come up with and thought you know what these participants this is how we're going to make this bigger from the offset I'd say a bit of both so one thing that I used to encourage them is to like to just say if there's something they're interested in just say whether you've got experience in it or not so I was like if anybody does want to do a bit of marketing work just say so it wasn't initially built into the funding then. I, I, sorry, I think that's what I was trying to articulate there is that with with some funding bids, obviously they may say, we've applied for this and within the bid, we're saying we're going to offer three internships or three employment opportunities for members of the company. That wasn't the case with this, no. Oh, no, 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 no. Not, not when it was a pilot. When it was a pilot, no. It was just about there being weekly workshops and there being a shearing at, at the end of the second year the second and first year. But in terms of once we got big lottery funding, that was when we started to strategize there being like, you know, potential apprenticeships um, and there being like a, a plug into the building. That's amazing. Um, so with that then, and having the, um, you know, the foresight to kind of say, okay, now that you're in the building, Let's see if you can make a home here in any type of way, marketing, lighting, etc. Um, as Tom said, that wasn't initially um, in the original bid. Did you find that to be a different experience, for example, when you went into other theatres that may have a, a bit more financial backing or you know, where it's actually already implemented in the bid that we are going to reach these people and we're going to offer three or four a placement or a, a job role? Did you, did you see the shifting types of practice from, say, the rep to Royal Court, National and any of the other theatres that you've worked in? 
Um, I, I would, I would say so. I, I feel that with, um, I think the the thought of that transition was quite new to the rep at the time. Um, whereas I'm quite familiar that other theatres have like long strategic plans for some of their groups, um, as well as like short term plans. Um, so I would say, yeah, I would say they are like with with the court. They have something called like young agitators, and their aim is to like grow them through the theatre and like if there's a further attachment to writing or if there's a further attachment to like the participation work that's already sort of potentially set in stone for them if they want to um whereas with with Lightpost it was uh like very much more of a discovery along the way and then having conversations with the rep but then the rep also very like, interested in beginning to like bridge the gap um so from it becoming like weekly participants of being like part of the fabric of the building so what was what were the main performance projects with the light post project? Yeah, so the first year uh we uh made a device piece called Three Fifths of Man. That was the very first year. Um the second year, um Kieran wrote Zulu Blue, uh which was performed in in the door, um, which was sold out. And that was the first time we had like charged for tickets. So that was a major, a major achievement. Um in our third year, uh me and Kieran, we then co-wrote a play called The Place For Me, um, which was then, uh, it was performed as part of a festival. Then it was asked to come back as part of a European, a European Youth Theatre Festival, which was a massive, massive achievement. And that was performed in a 250-seater, so we then upgraded the space. And then, based on that, like the cohort changed over time. And I thought that there was a real, uh, they then became a real investment in, in, in these guys which then led to the last production that I had worked on, uh, which was the Brahmi Iliad, which was with the adult theatre company, which was again performed in the studio. Um, so yeah, we had like four big, uh, big major production projects, but we also had other projects along the way. So there was a project for Black History Month where we sent a few of the guys into a school, in City Academy School. Um, there was also another one where we looked at the idea of like choices and consequences. Um, so a bit of like TIE. There was then also an anti uh, youth violence project that we worked on in Ladywood as well. So there were like other like sub projects that we worked on. Then we did a project about like treasured memories where it was a bit more reflective and we like focused on joyous moments that they've experienced. So like a real, a real wide range of, um, of projects really. Yeah, yeah, amazing, amazing. So, with the uh, just first of all, with the th- the four major performance projects that came out of that group, what would you say were the the biggest differences in process over the four years of working with? Was it with the same participants, or or I think probably what were the main what were the four main what were the main differences yeah. in each creative process and each project? Yeah, I think I, that's a really good question. I think uh, the cohort changed over the years. So some people stayed, some pe- some new blood came in. And um, I think in terms of where it began, it was a heavy reliance on devised skills, improvisation, um, techniques, and being able to like teach them the fundamentals of like building a story. Whereas over time, um, we had the transition of like, they, they, they like vocalized that they wanted a script that they felt really comfortable with 
devising, but I actually wanted to know the technical aspect of acting, like the fundamentals to acting. So they're like, cool, we can make theatre, and that's fun, but we also would like an artist to come in. So that's where in the second year, it was it was amazing for them, you know, for Kieran to write the play for them and for them to just work with that rather than us going, guys, can you go away for a bit? Can you make a scene? We're going to set a few of these key themes and then bring it back and we're going to try and weave it in, which was a really fun process. But they, they kept on wanting to challenge themselves further. So then by the third year, they were again uh, like coasting on the idea of, of 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 us telling very like bespoke stories as like young black theatre makers, me and Kieran wrote a play together and gave them a play to reflect like our ancestors' like uh, reality. So then in the fourth year, what was great was actually having a writer who's not not our ethnicity at all, who's telling an old Greek tale. And it was just about them becoming storytellers. It wasn't about it being storytelling about like a black specific story. So it really like changed along the way. So like, it was like teaching them how to become theatre makers, then teaching them how to become actors, then teaching them how to become storytellers. I would say. What do what do we think the three of us? What do we think that this this term is for when we're in this role? As because it would be really easy to say everything that you've just described there is is that what we brand as an applied practitioner? somebody that takes on and encompasses all of these different roles because throughout that you've described that you've both been the directors of the performance, you've both been the facilitators, you've acted as scriptwriters, you've acted as tutors, whether yeah. that's teaching acting or whether that's general skills working together as an ensemble. What do you see yourself as there, Philip, when you're working in that capacity? I... um. Two things, I would say like, I would say a company director in terms of like setting a vision and, and finding the key fundamental tools to achieve those set goals. I would say like a company director. But I think that's a really good point. I think I would say like for me, that would be the true essence of, of an applied facilitator. Because actually there were times where away from artistically, we were just sort of mentoring. Do you know what I mean? Like, when there was a cause or a need, we would then apply practice to support them in whatever way that might be. Theatre making, if someone's feeling a bit down, if, if, if there's, like, institutional racism happening, if they want to look at a story from, like, black history, if they want to look at um, issues within the judicial system, we would find a way each week to, like, provide the needs. So in terms of, like earlier conversation about the spectrum I think we like pushed it as wide as wide as we could really when there was like a need to teach when there was a need to learn or to upskill um, you know the aim was to constantly find a way to accommodate for this community for this group of people so I would say I would as well as like company director role I would say the bulk would be an applied in my opinion that's an applied theatre facilitator because actually, we then upskilled them to also do applied theatre without them maybe even realising that. We went into schools, they were doing applied theatre um, as well as being able to perform. So do you think that you also had a, the, the both of you actually also had a pastoral responsibility there as well with those young men? 
I, I, I think so personally, my experience there. Absolutely. Know? Absolutely. There were times when, you know, a few of the guys who gained an interest in acting would apply for drama school and not get in. And they would need that anchor of support to, 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 to speak to someone about going back in again, to speak to one of us about like how, how you get through that or somebody even applied for like a job um, and they maybe didn't get it or, but also the flip side, like um, there were loads of like issues that would flare up in the room and where there was a relatedness, even though we were very young at the time, we'd still experienced a lot individually that we were able to like reflect on and review with them, which sort of, which for me, and, and for them in terms of being fed back from them was like a real anchor of support. So yeah, pastoral care was like, essential, was essential to every week actually, because the harder they were being pushed was, was, was sometimes a tougher it felt for some of them. So even like taking notes, that was something that we had to be really careful with, but also equip them for the real world of like, yeah, if you want to be an actor, you're going to get some notes. And actually we'd often say like, you know, we're, we're being quite tame <laughs> in comparison to other places, but it was always because the, the key, the key reason for the group was building resilience. That was like a key fundamental thing. Um, so that was like a massive target for us. And how did, how did you go about handling some of those flare-ups? Was it, was it a matter of, I mean, I think maybe it might be more helpful for me, for me, as for somebody that di- that didn't know the group and didn't know the work that you were doing, what the the demographic of the young men that you were working with. So, were, were there behaviour issues involved with some of these yeah. young men as well? Or, I mean, and how yeah. did how did you handle that when those things arose as a facilitator? Yeah, so I, I, that was the importance of um, of check ins. So we would have group check-ins, but we'd also have individual check-ins. Um, so if there were ever, any ever like specific flare-ups, what I would do is call that person in either before a session or at another point in the next week to say like, what's going on? What, what, what's happening? Um, which like, from like facilitator to participant, is something that I wonder if performers are as familiar with. Like when a performer comes in, they do their session, they go home. They do their session, they go home. They do this issue, they go home and they have a show and they go home. Whereas in terms of someone actually checking in, how are you doing? What is going on? Why did this happen in the room? That was a constant thing. But also, we'd have moments where we just address it in front of everyone. If there were like multiple flare-ups, we would pause everything to everyone sit down and we and we talk it through. And I think that, again, I think also that process was something that was very new to to the group. Some Some facilitators might really opt out of that and feel uncomfortable with that. But because this was, again, about building resilience, about um, building those skills to, like, communicate and to speak your mind and to express yourself, and if there's an issue in the room, to, like, hash it out and, and, and think about solutions. It was, it was essential. Yeah. And what happens if that goes wrong? For you as a facilitator in that, yeah, you know, if... If I, I know many times when you're in certain situations with vulnerable young people and especially for, in my personal experience, vulnerable young men and an argument arises that let's, for, for figure of speech, above my pay grade to resolve whilst I'm in that room, how do you handle that responsibility and, and 
how do you go about handling those situations? What's what's the next line of support for you as a facilitator in order to make sure that suddenly what starts as an argument and a disagreement doesn't then turn into a shoving match and then somebody ultimately getting injured? Yeah, yeah. I, guess? I mean, what was what was essential for us was like setting the tone. So we were really fortunate in that there was never like a physical bust up. Really fortunate of that. There were so many moments that it could have been like a close shave. But what we would do is is remove that, remove those people from the room, tell them to sit down, hear both sides of the story, and then offer some thoughts back. Not necessarily uh, a thought that's a solution, but it gives them the chance to just get off what they need. Because it's interesting with like conversation, because you often find in these moments there is a misunderstanding. Someone has misread maybe what someone's someone has said. Or someone has, you know, taken out their day on someone else. So that would be like the first point of call. If anything happened beyond that in terms of like protection of ourselves, there were always like safeguarding policy. So I was able to speak to my line manager. If it ever was to like go above me, yeah, like outside of like my my pay grade, so to speak. But it was what I think what was vital is that we also acknowledged, um, which is like a language that's often used in these environments, was like we were a family. And actually, as a family, families have fallouts. And sometimes you might absolutely want to tear the head off your brother, your sister, you know. And, and so these moments will happen. And why is it happening? Because everyone is like, everyone's really charged and really like passionate about what we're doing. You know, this is all about the protection of the story. We all want to do it well, right? And in wanting to do it well, you can step on each other's toes. So that was always something that, we refer to some of the argument, we're like, you know what? Yeah, okay, that's fine. But when you do leave this room, you will respect one another. And we're extremely, extremely firm with that. It may not work for every community group, but I think because we were also seen as like big brothers in the room, the respect, the respect was there. And actually, it got to a point where they really didn't want to disappoint us. Um, which was very interesting as well because I, I found that synergy between that and when you work in a primary school once they're like invested in you as a facilitator the thought of letting you down is, is, is a real is a real shame for the group so, so Philip do you think that you as you as Philip Morris brought yourself to that i know you said you brought yourself to it but how much did you bring of yourself how much was it philip morris the facilitator the applied theater director or was it was there ever moments of i'm just philip morris in this moment and and you talked a bit earlier about that transparency but how does that transparency kind of vary from working with year ones to you know light post to the work that you've done um over at the yeah i think um like uh, it's, it's a it's, it's definitely a bit of me in all of it. Um, I would say, but I would say there are like different percentages. So I feel like what was very interesting was like as a facilitator, as a fellow um, black male in that room, I would I, I'd be honest and say that that room was the most comfortable that I was in. You know what I mean when when delivering like post work. So that was probably at like the highest percentage. Whereas like. You know, I've also got, like, there's so many, like, facets to my personality. Um, when I'm with young people, 
they really get like the goofy side of me. Like, and actually they, because I'm being like boisterous and, and, and being a bit fun, they, they really um, respect that. Because one thing for me is like, I always want to, I'm not just the fact that I am teaching, but I'm also not your teacher. I'm not your teacher. I'm someone coming and I have, in my mind anyway, I have a slightly different way of working. And I'm really invested in what you want to say, which is also like very much part of me. I'm someone who, whether it's friends, family, I want to listen. I want to listen and I want to absorb the information and I want to do my best to, t- to help tell your story. Um, and then with the little ones, yeah, I would say it's the same. Like the more that, but there's, I would say there's less of me. That's more like teacher. Like that is where I, I, I do concede to like the aspect of teaching. Like I'm, I'm coming as a much taller person, a much taller figure in presence, which can be, which can naturally like Tom, you're, you're very tall. That can be extremely intimidating for like really small children. Do you know what I mean? So that it, the, the, the balance between like those worlds are, are really important. But I've, and even like with the national theater, I found that the more that I was being, in that case, now that was slightly different. The more I became more true to myself, was the better that that role was, and the better that I was as a facilitator. Whereas I was, there was moments where I was slightly overcompensating because it was a national theatre. But actually, I wasn't doing for a bit what I do best, which is like try and bring joy to a room, try and make people laugh, try and make people think. Kind of thing, so. so, was it within the fourth year of the Light Post project? that your relationship with the National Theatre then began? Was that your first interaction and your way in to the National Theatre? You know, it was it was actually my second year. It was my second year in. So I um, this was during the time there was an Actors Foundry, um, which was run by Alexander Zeldin. And we we accidentally double booked the same room. Um, so we had light posting me at Actors Foundry and he was like, let's do a session together. And we did a session together and I led a few exercises. And then literally, I would say about three months later, I got a call from the National Theatre, which was like, oh. first of all, how did you get my name? How do you know who I am? And there was this like long thing of trying to work out who on earth is part of my International Theatre. Um, and it was Alexander Zeldin in the end. So I went down, had an interview, and they told me about um a project called National Theatre Public Acts. Um, and that was like working with working with a majority of older guys, like 40 plus, um, in, in Camberwell, in, in South London. But what was interesting was in my first year, there was a project I worked I worked on at um it wasn't was it Cypher Fireside? It might have been there. And that was working with a very similar cohort of, of people. So, so the, what was the demographic other than the age group um, of the gentleman that you were asked to work with in London? So, yeah, the demographic um, were ma- mainly, um, there were a few women in the group, but mainly men over the age of like 40 and 50 um, who uh, go to a services called Thames Reach each week, which is a, an employment service that helps to try and find, get you to find a job or to join like some courses. Um, and they also like provide housing as well. Um, and I'd say that room was made of a, I would say, a majority of bl- uh, white and black men, with a few a few women. 
Um, and so your job was was to go in and yeah yeah so drama workshops with them or yeah yeah so to 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 introduce performance skills to get them to train them over uh the majority of a year to lead them towards a massive community performance um of, of of pericles so we had uh me and uh i think it was four other facilitators were working across london so my hub was South London. So I worked in North, East, West to help upskill them in terms of performance skills to then introduce the, the story of Pericles so that when it came to the community production, they were ready and tooled up um, to perform. Yeah. And that was, that was for two years. So the second year was, um, was As You Like It. Um, and I didn't work on that production, but I was also getting them ready, getting them, getting them geared up, um, which was a really cool experience. So, so how were the, the, the differences in, you know, w- with working with those participants, you've just come from working with very energetic 15, no, 16, 17, 18 year olds now to not necessarily lack of energy, but to a more mature um, more rooted um, group that may not be up for playing the runaround games like the year ones. Uh, what, so, what was your strategy in terms of facilitating? Okay, I've got yeah. So, um, space. What, what do I do regarding that project? The approach I had to take with that one was a bit of a blend of all of the groups. So, I needed to carry in like the joy that I try and carry in when I worked with like really young kids. Because actually, for the participants, they've been, you know, some of them had a really tough day, you know. So they, in terms of, like, focusing on the escapism in the room, that was, like, something that was vital. So to be able to bring in some of those, like, basic games, like bibbidi bibbidi but to these, like, this older generation of people who have never heard of these kind of games before was really essential. To, like, focus on, like, to, to use, like, the listening tools that we had in terms of, like, when I worked with light posts, and being really attentive and taking note of what people are saying was, was essential. And then the like storytelling of like, we are going to, you know, create a piece together. What you say, I'm going to gather, I'm going to go away and make a script was exactly the kind of work that I was doing with the slightly older young people um, in primary school. So it was literally, but I had to make that discovery myself in terms of pulling those elements all together to, to to do the job justice. Yeah. So so um, do you think your process in terms of creating the workshops was any different? So I know you're saying that you you, you incorporated a lot of the same skills and the same styles, but um, so for me when I'm facilitating. I have a mental plan of, of what's happening, but I know some people like to have things written down. Some people like to have the, the 10 workshops kind of laid out beforehand. And what was kind of your process in, in, in approaching this new group? Yeah. So that's, that's a really good point. So a lot of the workshops I would like to jot down on like a piece of paper, but in terms of the requirement that was needed to work with the national theater was like full page document of workshop activity, you know, starter warm up introduction to topic you know like a really structured layer which really helped me actually and it's something that I still do now with my workshop planning so from being from having a fairly if I'm honest a fairly lazy approach thinking of it on the bus or whatever I then found myself like really laying out um 
the sort of the tasks, learning objectives, why, like really trying to work out why we're doing certain activities, how the first activity will link to the main activity, all of that kind of stuff. And I was taught something really valuable um, called scaffolding. So, you know, uh, a, a a quick version, which you might do with a youth theatre, was like, cool, guys, uh, make a scene, go away and come back, like within 10 minutes, which is something I was quite used to doing. Whereas this one, it was like, we need to set, we need to set A to B to C to end up with D. Do you know what I mean? So it's like, cool. I want you guys to each think of two lines. Think about those two lines. Practice those two lines. Then I want you to then add one more line. Do you know what I mean? So then by the end, we're having the same outcome, but it's it's an A to B to C process. Like we're really, um, it was really about like comforting them through that process. Because actually... Um, when working with groups who are like really into drama, it's really easy to do that. Go away, come back, make a scene. But actually, for people who have never experienced drama in their lives, who have literally stepped into this room and want to find out, that layering really helps to give them the confidence. Really helps them to understand the structuring of like of, of dialogue. So that actually, by the second year, me going go away and come back after ten minutes was easy because they know they know the process. Do you know what I mean? Um, so yeah, really breaking it down. And and then how how was how did that vary if it did when um, the different hubs came together because I, I'd assume that if you're working with a group over ten weeks they get very comfortable with with one another and then to you know be kind of thrown in with all the new hubs um, of of participants to be thrown into the to the national theatre which is you know uh, uh, overwhelming feat as it is yeah. how, how did they cope with it how did you kind of manage and and support that it was a real it was a real shock to the system um for for a few of them and so um but then going backwards slightly what we tried to do was give them a bit of a gist as the feeling of that like the feeling of rehearsing so we would have a shearing at the end of the year but we rehearse it over and over and over we go cool this isn't the full picture of what you're about to experience but this is a bit this is a bit of a window um, so in terms of when they were together, um, you know, you did find that some groups sort of stayed quite close together because they built a rapport and so forth. But what I was able to do was like, because my role then shifted when they were all together, it was more about supporting individuals. So I'd, pop, I'd go towards one of them and say, oh yeah, do you remember what we did X amount of months ago? Like when we looked at the text in a specific way or we, 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 we looked at an intention. Yeah, we want to find an intention. Um, so it, it really varied, but I would say it was a shock to the system to have like 250, to be in a room of like 15 to 250 was was a big shift. But I actually I actually found, and the feedback actually was that in terms of um being dealing with the shift, the group that I worked with did really, really well. So a lot of them ended up with like spoken uh, speaking roles, uh, if not nearly everyone from the group that I worked with. So that really was a nice confidence booster for me in terms of like reflecting on my practice and actually going towards them, um, you know, developing real life performance skills and acting skills. Um, so in the second year of As You Like It, I just came as an audience member. Quite a few of them, again, had speaking roles. And to have a speaking role out of 200, and, I think there were 70 speaking roles out of 250 um, is like a massive achievement. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. And and did you notice anything 
structurally different in terms of approach to community work and applied work from the rep royal court national is it and is there what's the similarities what's the the differences what is something that you'd probably add somewhere or take away from somewhere yeah I, th- I think starting with similarities i think everyone who you work with they want everyone wants to feel heard they want to feel valued they want to feel listened to and that is something whether I, right now real court working with professional actors that you know what i mean that you you want your actors to feel or whether it's working with young kids or whether it's working with whatever community it might be those are like fundamental things that enable you to 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 begin to make like really strong work um like everybody wants to feel trust in the room they want to like as the captain of the ship in terms of facilitating or directing everybody's looking for you looking at you to instill that you know from from the off um in terms of differences i just think yeah i think i think every group is literally different i think everybody within like groups people also have individual needs so one way of passing notes to one person may not work for another. You may need to be a bit more sensitive or they might like it when you're really straight to the point. Do you know what I mean? And it's about, that's the importance of the process of really getting to know every group, every actor individually. Because what when you're in a room, the key thing is what, what do they need from you? You have the things you need from them in terms of vision, but what, what do they need from you? Because it, it, it starts it starts with you and ends with them. Um, so that, yeah, that, that, that's something I, I would say. And, yeah. and as you just mentioned, um, now working with professional actors, um, so your trajectory is kind of, you know, moved from young kids, young adolescents to, you know, mature adults to to now professional actors well you've, you've worked with, with a range is is there is there room for your applied practice in what can is considered the the commercial side of, of theater for sure i think especially when it comes to like dramaturgy so i've got i've got a, a really close friend of mine called izzy and she uh, studied applied theater and when she works with writers she goes to the drawing board of like putting out like cards and like finding a, a game and a way to like find out more about these characters and stuff like that, which is essentially applied theatre practice. So the same for me, like when I'm working with like a writer or an actor, um, you know, you still like a group of actors, you still will end up playing like a zip that boy. You still will end up playing splat, you know what I mean, to get their brain going. But then even in terms of like, um, like whether it's like intentions, wants and needs, objectives, like these are things that you will still, the, that process you will still go through with like a group of like a year 10 group doing the GCSEs, like GCSE drama. Do you know what I mean? Uh, so like, yeah, it's, it's always, there's, there's always there's a bit of applied theatre in, 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 in everything I feel, um, practice wise. Yeah, like, yeah, whether a game, an activity, or a warm up, um, or like whether it's a device process. So like when I'm with actors, I like to like play and like play with their choices and help to build like character arcs. So if you know if we've got a description of a character, I would I would love to find out. You know, though it's not written in the text, I would say like yeah, let's think about 
you know, this character's childhood. Let's think about the kind of environment they grew up in. And this is us building it together. It's very much like applied theatre practice for me. Yeah, what, what you're describing there, Philip, sounds like you've you've got a real sense of actually what makes you as a director when working with professional actors, so to speak, are your communication skills and being able to really understand the needs of the people that you're working with and and hold an open dialogue in order to achieve your set goal. And I wonder if without your experience of working with all of the different groups that you've spoken about today, whether or not actually you would be such a reciprocal director in regards to your process and your communication. Um, when you're when you're working with your professional companies now, I mean, so where where are you based now? Where where is it that you're currently working at the moment? Was was the National Theatre Project the last thing that that you previously worked on? Yeah, so um, that the National Theatre Project. Um, completed its its run last year so i was i was previously working on that for two years um i've since uh, worked at the young vic so i directed the showcase in january of this year um and that and during that time to now i'm i'm based permanently uh, full-time at, at the royal court theater whilst also working with company three as a project associate so um that's a youth theater in in islington so I'm still sort of, I'm still uh, connected to my like youth to roots, but also at at the Royal Court, yeah. And what and what is the position at the Royal Court? What what are you working on at the moment over there? Yeah, so um my um my role at the Royal Court is that I'm a trainee director. Um, so before COVID, that meant working alongside directors as an assistant director to support them on their like assistant vision and creating pieces. That also um, meant me and means me working closely with the literary department, um, working with participation as well. Um, so because of the changes of COVID at the moment, right now, um, myself and my co-trainee, Izzy, we're going to be helping facilitate discussions around something called the Living Archive newspaper, Living newspaper um, which is an installation weekly, which is taking place in the Royal Court, um, of literally a newspaper. So you come to the front and there's like a front page uh, like story or performance. You step into other rooms and, you know, there might be a horoscope and, and things like that. So um, I'm helping uh, facilitate conversations between the writers and support them in the development of them telling a variety of stories. I'm finding now, um, Philip, I don't know if you'd agree, Tom and Philip, that what theatres are kind of leaning towards now or the, the, the things that I'm hearing about seems to be very much rooted in an applied theatre kind of performance aspect. So for, for what you've just spoke about there with terms of like the live newspaper, I can imagine being in year two uh, uh, in our training and doing that type of work um, and to, to hear that it's happening at the Royal Court you know what what is considered to be applied theater on that kind of more commercial setting it's it's a it's a breath of fresh air really it really is a breath of fresh air to 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 hear that um so you said you you're talking to the different writers about that when when's this going to be happening 
Um, so I think in if not if not next week, the week after, because it's, it's it's happening quite soon. Um, so I believe it's the sixth of November. It begins as running till December. So yeah, very soon, very very soon. Is is that going to be a digital performance, Philip, or is that are, are people able to attend that? How how can people go about booking to come and see? Yeah, to my understanding, it's a mixture of both. So I believe there may be up to like seven, I think up to seven performances a day or runs a day um, at, at like a limited capacity. But I believe that there will be a way to still be able to view it digitally. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. so a mixture of the two. And in terms of goals and aspirations, is there something that you want to accomplish at the Royal Court? Um, yeah, I, I, I think in terms of... Um, Capitalizing on the teaching of dramaturgy is something I am I'm, I'm on a conquest of doing. I've had amazing sessions with like my line manager, um, who was like taught me the you know the, the the fundamentals of dramaturgy, but also how how the royal court focuses on that as well. So they have their they have some methods. Um, so that would be I think yeah I think because of the changes of COVID that can only be my sort of focus at the moment. Um, and also just developing a further whenever um, you know my, my my time does end developing a further um, a further dialogue and connection to like the writers the up and coming writers that are coming through and, and the kind of work that they're doing so yeah I'd say like dramaturgy um, is something I want to is a string I want to add to my bow um, and also just yeah just just I would I would love to continue like a, a lifelong uh connected to to the Royal Court because they've, they've been amazing. Just for anybody that is interested, um, just to provide some dates and some times for the show that Philip's been working on at the Royal Court, uh, performances will take place throughout the day from 11 till 1, um, and that's Thursday to Saturday from the 12th of November. So that will be on. Is that all the way throughout November, Philip? Yeah, till to, to, through to December. In terms of your own personal goals, um, and what 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 are they, if if any, if any, if if it's wider than the royal core, if it's to go back yeah, home I, and you know yeah, I I I'd love to do both, because um, we're we're living in, uh, I often say to like my friends and stuff, we're living in a time of just being you know the the era of like multidiscipline artists, so um I think applied theatre will never go away for my practice um but I'm also I would also be equally interested in like gaining more experience commercially as well so that actually um for me experiencing like the best of both worlds because there's always a way even to commercial shows or you name it to apply apply like apply theatre practice um whether that's post theatre workshops or whether that's like satellite productions um or community responses to a piece um, that's something that I would always want to do. Um, I'm in the process of developing my own company um, so that information will, will come soon. Um, but it is working, um, in terms of what I'm allowed to say, it's working uh, with with near enough the same like cohort that we did regarding like light person in terms of working closely with young black men. But it's focusing more on like the outreach aspect. Um, so that's something I'm developing now. Um, the long-term dream would be, yeah, to, to have our own theatre building, to have our own uh, rehearsal space, performance space. Um, 
I wouldn't I, I wouldn't call it necessarily a drum school, but as a space that people could come to to explore explore theatre. Um yeah, is is like the long-term dream. And also like within that, there being a space for younger people to come and not even necessarily do theatre, but just to to like goof around and, and, and play some pool or play PS5 by the time that comes out and like just just be. Well, I just want to say it's been really inspirational and really great listening to you, Philip. It's been fantastic. And thank you very much for sharing not only your journey, but also your practice and your methodology with us this afternoon, because it's just been a complete joy to listen to somebody who works within the same field. And I think also as another male that's of a similar age, talk about their journey and their practice. So I'd just like to say a big thank you, Philip. Thank you. Thank you. It's it's been great to to talk about it. I think I think the thing is we're not like anyone who takes the applied theatre course. We don't always have the opportunity to speak about that journey, um, and so our course is often misunderstood, um, or, or 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 is often something that's not mentioned. So thank you for allowing for creating this platform for us to be able to come and talk about it. No, thank you. Um, and I just just to echo what Thomas said, it's it's been really refreshing to hear. Um, even though you know we've known each other, th- known each other for some years now, we've never really been able to sit down and kind of dig in to what our practice actually is and what the experience and the journey is from walking into you know drama school on your first day, not really knowing where you want to go, being a, thinking you're going to be a drama teacher to, you know, in the, the workings of setting up your own company to create applied work as well as commercial work. Um, I think it's really inspiring. Again, as you said, it just shows the trajectory of where this course can take you because fundamentally all those foundational skills were were learned yep. in those three years in the BA course. A massive. Do you... If if anybody would like to contact you, Philip, do you have any direct means of contact? Yes. So if anyone, I'm often um, available on Twitter. Um, that's always a good chance to like DM me or give me a shout. Um, so on Twitter, it's Philip with one L. Um, so it's Philip John, J-O-N, Morris. Um, so that's Philip John Morris. Um, if you just uh, at me or DM me, I'm always up to for having a chat. Um, and also email wise, whilst um, in terms of um, my my uh, personal email, it's best to contact that during these times. Um, it's uh, Philip J Morris at yahoo.co.uk. So I've had quite a few uh, emails this week of people who want to like have a chat over Zoom and stuff like that um, so yeah that's, that's a good place to, to find me 